Good morning. None of us likes change. But it is my hope and prayer that as people of the Oasis Church that you will embrace this change. Because, Lord willing, this is the way it's going to be until we actually move into our new facility. couple reasons. One, this in some ways is going to be very similar to the feel of our new building, but yet, let me say this, it's going to feel even smaller than this. Even though the number of seats are going to be actually a little bit bigger than what we have here in these three sections, the ceiling is going to be much lower than the ceiling here at Basha. And it's not going to be as wide. So it's going to be further squished together, which means you guys are going to have to even be closer to one another. <laughs> and I think one of the reasons why God very much impressed upon me to do this was the realization that God is a God of preparation. God always wants us to be preparing ourselves for something rather than having the idea that, well, we just get there and we're just going to just flip the switch and just then we'll deal with it. Because that's sometimes the way we are. We're good flip switchers. We think we can go through life and just go from one thing to another without preparing or being prepared by God and that we can just turn it on and turn it off when we want. And God is like, no, that that doesn't work. That's why I'm always about preparing my people so that they don't have to flip switches in their life. They can... They can start being prepared for that next thing. And I believe that one of the great things about this new season that we're going in is that God wants to create an even greater sense of intimacy, not only between us and God, but between us and one another. Because we're going to have to learn to navigate each other even a little bit closer than we have spread out in these you know, this vast auditorium at Basha here for the last eight years. And we're going to have to get even more loving and accommodating because we're going to have to give up where we used to sit, maybe for somebody else, uh, and be a little bit even more flexible than we've been. All things that God is sort of testing to see where are we at. Is our local church experience about us? Or is it about God and others? And so God wants to see where we're at with that. You know, it's easy for us to say, oh, I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm a very accommodating, flexible person until we actually have to start navigating that. And so I think God wants us to begin to start navigating that and preparing for it now because we're going to have enough adjustments to make once we actually leave here one Sunday 
and start out there the next Sunday, there's going to be enough adjustments to make. We don't need to try to have this adjustment too of starting to figure out and wrapping our minds around what's it going to be like to meet in a much smaller feeling space than, than, than what we have. We're going to be a lot closer together. And so I think God wants us to start preparing for that right now. So I hope you'll embrace it. And as I told somebody this morning, in spite of what Scott said, which I thought was really funny, that the complaint department of our church is me. So if you have something that you want to say, just come right to the pastor and say it. But you've got to understand, I am confident enough and where I am with God in this that I wouldn't have done this had I not truly believed that this was a step that God wanted me and wanted us to take. I don't make decisions like this willy-nilly and just because Pastor Jeff wants to do it. I only make decisions like this because I believe it is the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I'm confident in that. So, Galatians chapter 3. As we continue our series on the Holy Spirit, we're going to be looking at several verses out of the book of Galatians this morning. And we want to begin in Galatians chapter 3. And we want to begin looking at our foolishness. Our foolishness, because that's where Paul is with the Galatians. And many of you here this morning may be able to identify with the, with the Christians in the region of Galatia. And, and it would be for this reason. If you come out of a legalistic spiritual background, if you come out of a background in your childhood or young adulthood or being brought up in, in a church or a spiritual environment where you got the impression or you heard more about rules and regulations than you did about relationship, where it was more about making sure the things you did and didn't do and, and that that was the primary focus rather than just learning to relate to God and fellowship with Him, then you can relate with the Galatians because that was their bent their bent was all about law. It was all about approaching God from a rule and regulation rather than relationship, you know, type of, of pattern. And that was then always a struggle for them because as we're going to see here in just a moment, they obviously had to start out their Christian life by establishing a relationship with God. But the problem is that for many who either grow up or that's your background, that can be the default even after you get started in your relationship with Christ. It's very easy for, for those who grow up in that kind of environment somewhere along the line to go back to uh, living by rules and regulations rather than continuing to develop a deeper relationship with God. That that ends up being our Christianity. And so that's where Paul's coming from when he addresses the Galatians in Galatians 3 by saying, you foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you? Before your eyes, Jesus Christ was vividly portrayed as crucified. Meaning... 
that the preaching of the cross to those who are perishing is foolishness, but unto us who are saved, the preaching of the cross is the power of God. So Paul says, the only thing I want to learn from you is this. Did you receive or obtain the Spirit of God by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? Although you began, you commenced, you started your Christian life with the Spirit, are you now trying to finish your Christian life by human effort without the Spirit's help? Have you suffered so many things for nothing? If indeed it was for nothing? Does God then give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law or by you believing what you heard? Let's talk about this word foolishness for a minute because that's really a word that Paul uses twice here. It doesn't mean they were dumb. It doesn't mean they were stupid. It doesn't mean they lacked you know, the intelligence to be able to grasp or comprehend something, the word means thoughtless. And it's something you and I have to then grapple with as followers of Jesus Christ. Are there times maybe in our Christian walk where we simply are thoughtless? Where we're not giving thought or consideration to something? We're not taking the time to think through things. It has nothing to do with our intelligence or our IQ, but it has everything to do with maybe we're not really thinking through things like we should. And it reminds us then that God gave us a mind for a reason and wants us to use it. In fact, we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And so often Christians, or maybe they even buy into what others say, is, oh, you Christians, you're just mindless, you know. You just sort of check your, your mind off when you become a Christian, and you don't do any more thinking or, or, you know, rational, give anything any rational thought. Well, that's not biblical, obviously. And Paul's simply saying, Galatians, have you not considered and thought that, how did you become a Christian in the first place? You did not become a Christian, a follower of Christ, by doing enough rules and regulations, by being a good enough person. You you realize the message of grace. That is, by grace we are saved through faith. It is not of works, lest any of us should boast. So you knew that. So why do you now come to a place in your life where you say, Spirit, I've got this. I don't need you anymore. I can go back and I can start living my Christian life by my own human effort. I can start pulling myself up, as you know they used to say, by my own bootstraps. You see, the, the Spirit of God is not like spiritual training wheels. That God gives us the Spirit of God for a, a little bit of time, and then somehow we can jettison the Spirit of God off and say, God, I've got this. But many Christians do, just like the Galatians. Because somehow, sometimes the worst thing that happens to us is we get a little bit of church, we get a little bit of a knowledge of the Bible, we get a little bit of taste of being a Christian almost to our detriment. Because then it's almost like, I got enough, I think, to be dangerous type of thing. You know, I I sort of got this now, God, I've got this down. I sort of got a little bit of a comfortability here now in my life. So I don't need to depend and rely on you as much as I used to. You see, what Paul's trying to get the 
Galatians to think through is this. There never comes a point in our Christian life where the Spirit of God and our reliance and dependence upon Him is not necessary. In fact, the message of the Bible, if we think through it, is the more I actually grow, the more I mature, The further along I get in my walk with God, the more I realize how much more I need to depend and rely on the Spirit. And so Paul is saying to the Galatians, he's basically calling them out, saying, that's why you're living such an inconsistent Christian life. Because you're trying to do things now in your own human effort, rather than relying and depending upon the Spirit to work through you. And that's how you and I can, one way we can know whether we're learning this or not, and whether we're thinking through things and considering things or not, is how consistent is our Christian life? Because for many Christians, they would say, my life's like a roller coaster, up one day, down the next, up one week, down the next. You know, it's this constant, like, you know, there's no consistency. There's no consistent trajectory of of progress upward. It's always going around in circles or it's hit and miss. And that's because we've not learned to rely on the Spirit consistently. We like, we rely on the Spirit for the big things or certain things, but then we go, God, I've got this. And then we start trying to do things in our own human effort and there's the inconsistency. And then Paul brings up a great point uh, in verse 3 when he says, and you began with the Spirit. Are you going to try to finish your Christian, Christian life basically without the Spirit? Because none of us will ever finish well apart from the Spirit. You see. And again, maybe in our own lives and maybe even through the knowledge of other Christians' lives, all of us know people that started out really well. All of us even know churches that started out really well. Man, when that church got together and when they were planted and everything, man, they were, they were on fire for God and, and they, they, you know, you could feel God working and moving there and, and, and there was the presence of God there and the power of God was being manifested. But somewhere along the line, the church was bewitched. It was like Paul says to the Galatians, somebody cast a spell on you. Something else captivated you. Something else overpowered you and got you off track. And now everything or the majority of things that's being done in that church is being done by human effort, not by the Spirit. As I said several weeks ago, how much of the Spirit's work is done in our local churches and even in our lives? And could the Spirit be taken out of most churches and nobody would ever notice? Could the Spirit be taken literally out of our lives and out of our being and nobody ever notice? Because we're not truly relying on the Spirit? And it's so sad when something else captivates or overpowers us like it did the Galatian Christians because the Bible tells us greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We have the person of highest rank in the universe living within us. The Holy Spirit of God. There is no one greater than him. He is equal to God the Son and God the Father. Therefore, no force, no one, no other human being, nothing out there is of greater force or power or authority than the Holy Spirit. 
So if you and I are under the spell of someone or something else, if we are being overpowered or overcome by anything else, it is a power that we have relinquished to them, but not one that we had to. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And we, if we learn to rely on the Spirit and depend upon the Spirit, then nothing else or no one else will get us on, off track because our primary influence will be the most powerful person that exists, and that is the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us. How foolish can we be? We need to learn to rely on the Spirit always. In fact, we need to think through the fact that really, the longer I'm a Christian, the more I realize I need to rely on the Holy Spirit and the less I will even try to do without Him. It's not just the big things, it's everything. It's not just certain days, it's every day. The second thing that Paul wants to talk to us about this morning is not only our foolishness, but our Father. Look over in chapter 4, verse 6. Paul says to the Galatians, And because you are sons, daughters, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts who calls Abba Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then you are also an heir through God. Paul is saying to us, God dispatched one totally qualified to assure us and also to motivate us to approach the Father. He even said that to the Romans. God sent His Spirit into us to assure us always, God's our Father and we are part of His family and we are His child. That's why in Romans 8, 17, it says, The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And one of the great ministries of the Spirit is that continual, constant assurance inside of us that we are God's child. But it goes beyond that. Here Paul is saying he also sent his Spirit, the Spirit of his Son, into our hearts to also help us to realize we have a Father. A Heavenly Father. A loving Heavenly Father. And that our Heavenly Father wants us to develop with Him this loving, affectionate, tender, dependent relationship with the Father, you see. The term Abba, Father here, is a term of tender endearment by a beloved child in an affectionate, dependent relationship with their Father. It is a term that Jesus used when he addressed his heavenly father like he did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, but not my will, yours be done. I believe that this term, Abba Father, was also a term that Jesus would have used with his earthly father, Joseph. It was a term of intimacy. It was a term of affection. It was a term of relationship. 
It's not looking at God the Father as this impersonal God up there that is so distant, whatever. The Holy Spirit came to bring us and our Father together. And for us as Christians to see our Father in such a different light so that through this intimate, affectionate, tender relationship that we can develop over our years as a Christian with the Father, we know we can cry out to Him at any time. And He's right there for us. Because when Paul said to the Romans, if God be for us, who can be against us? He wasn't just talking about Jesus there. or He wasn't just talking about the Holy Spirit there. He was also talking about God the Father there. And so often as Christians, we forget our Heavenly Father. That we do focus on the Son, Jesus, and, and now we're even focusing on the Holy Spirit. But notice here, the Holy Spirit, one of His ministries, is not just to exalt Jesus Christ in our life. It is also to help connect us with our Heavenly Father. Is that the kind of relationship you have with the Father? You know, John says in 1 John 3, 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called His children. Do you see yourself as a child of your heavenly father every day, knowing that he's right there for you, that he loves you as much as Jesus, the son and the Holy Spirit does. In fact, the, maybe the most famous well-known verse in all the Bibles, John three sixteen, And you realize that's talking about the love of the father. For God the Father so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We sometimes think and should about the love of Jesus for us because He came and died on the cross. But let's not forget the love that the Father had in giving up and sacrificing the one that was dearest to Him and watching Him go through everything that He went through. Would you do that as a parent or grandparent? Would you give up one that you love so much to be abused and tortured and murdered by those? That's what the Father did. Can imagine the pain of the Heavenly Father looking down on His Son being tortured the way He was? Giving up His life? The Father certainly did not take any pleasure in that garden scene where he finally reassures Jesus, no, this, this has to be my will. And again, why was that? Not because he didn't love his son Jesus. Oh, he did. It was because he loved us too. He loved us so much that he was willing for his own dear one and only son to go through what he did. Do you think about the father that way? You know, we need to think about our Father as our protector and our provider. Jesus taught us that even in the model prayer. When he taught his followers how to pray, he said, Address our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And our Father, give us this day our daily bread. You see, we can go to our heavenly Father and he is the one who also provides for us and wants to provide. In fact, Jesus even uses the whole concept of the Father when he says later on, if you as an earthly father know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more do you think God, your Father, wants to give good things to you? 
In fact, a verse that we use many times as Christians to encourage one another is Philippians 4.19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And do you know who the specific person of the Trinity is that that's referring to? That's referring to God the Father. But my God, my Father will supply all your need according to his riches and glory. You know how we know that? The very next verse, Paul says, praise be to God our Father. He's talking about the Father there. He's saying the Father will supply all that we need. The Father will provide for us because the Father loves us. Have you received the love of your Father today? Do you live in the love of your Heavenly Father today? And this week and this month, this is what the Spirit wants to do. He wants us to... to, to, have our Father, our Heavenly Father, so real to us that it becomes such an intimate, affectionate, tender relationship that we have no trouble approaching our Father for anything and everything and just learning to go to Him. The Spirit motivates us. Go to your Father. Go to your Father. Come to the Father. Cry out, Abba, Father. And know that your Father loves you. And He is there to provide, to protect, to give us everything that we will need. He also talks to the Galatians about our future. Go with me to Galatians chapter 5, verse 5. For through the Spirit by faith we wait expectantly for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision carries any weight. In other words, again, it's not about externals. It's not about what we do or what we don't do. It's not about rules and regulations. That carries no weight. That, that gives us no power to basically enter the arena and, and engage whatever opposition we may be engaging. The only thing, Paul says, that matters is faith being put on display or working through love. I want to go back to verse 5. We, through the Spirit, by faith, wait expectantly for the hope of righteousness. That phrase, the hope of righteousness, is a way of talking about our future. It is all that God has promised and all that we believe God will bring about. It is making things as they always should be. And Paul wants, first of all, all of us again to give thought and consider the hope of righteousness. Think about it with me for a few moments. Do you realize some of the hope of righteousness is that the Bible teaches one day you and I will touch the face of the one who made us? That when we see him, we will be like him for we will see him as he is? Do you realize the Bible says one day we will be reunited with all of our loved ones and friends that have went on before us? That's the hope of righteousness. Do you realize the Bible says one day there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the former things have passed away. The hope of righteousness is realizing that one day the swords will be beaten into plowshares and there will be no more war. Do you realize the hope of righteousness is that one day the lion and the lamb will lie down together and there will be no more animosity 
Not only between human beings, but even in the animal kingdom. Do you realize the hope of righteousness the Bible teaches us? Is that the babies born during the millennial kingdom will literally be able to play over the holes of deadly snakes and they won't even be harmed. Do you realize the hope of righteousness is that the Bible teaches that even desert regions and places that are so dry and parched will one day be turned by God into gardens of Eden one day on this earth. That's the hope of righteousness. And Paul is saying it is only through the Spirit that the realization of all that God promised and all that we believe will happen one day is real to us to the point where it makes a difference in how we live every day, which is why then Paul says, we should through the Spirit by faith be waiting expectantly. Here's what it means. It means that every day as a Christian, if I'm allowing the Spirit of God to influence me as He wants to, I will wake up every day going, God, I know what's coming. And I believe that everything you said that's going to happen in the future is going to happen. And because of that, I get up every day having less and less attachment to this world that is passing away. Every day, I live less and less for the world and what the world can offer me. And I live every day more and more attached to Jesus Christ and to the values of His kingdom and what's going to last on into eternity. That's what it means to wait expectantly. And the only way that you and I can do that consistently is by the Spirit. It's only through the Spirit, by faith, that I can wake up every day and literally that is so real. What God has promised is so real to me of what's coming one day that it literally changes the way I live every day. I don't become like Lot's wife who is more attached to the things of the world than what God's will is. And she's more enamored with earthly, temporal things that one day are going to be left behind. That just like Jesus was tempted, I won't be tempted or allured by the things that Satan offers me. Even if it was like Jesus, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world if you will just bow down and worship me. And so many Christians, because we're not allowing the Spirit to influence us, what are we running after? What are we pouring our effort and energy into? We're pouring our energy and effort into the kingdoms of this world. And yet the Bible teaches us that one day the reality is the hope of righteousness is that the kingdom of this world will one day become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ and He will reign forever and ever. And you and I will reign with Him. If we really believe that, then it should change the way I live every day. That I will invest in eternal things. Again, that the world and what it offers me and what I could gain in the world has no attraction to me. That every day I go further into my relationship with Christ, the less the world has to offer means anything. It's all about what Jesus said, seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's what's captivated me. That's what gets my heart beating faster. That, that, that's what gets me energized every day. That's what it means to wait expectantly for the hope of righteousness. But notice, 
finally this morning about our faith. Because Paul said, let's watch being foolish. Let's make sure we are connecting with our Father through the ministry of the Spirit. Let's make sure we are keeping our future so real that it changes the way we live. But then Paul makes this very important point throughout all of this that we've looked at today. He says, but guess what? It comes through learning to do this dance, if you will, with the Spirit of God. Because the five words that Paul uses here in Galatians 5, 5, really are a great summation of what the whole Christian life should be about. Through the Spirit, by faith. Through the Spirit, that's God's part. The by faith, that's our part. And they both have to work together. They both have to be connected. They both have to work in conjunction for all of this to work. See, God is saying, through my spirit that lives within you, he will prompt you. He will persuade you. He will speak to you inside of you. But the faith is my response. And biblical faith is positively responding to the voice of the spirit, to the wooing of the spirit, to the working of the spirit. That's our part. That's what faith is. Faith Biblical faith is a positive response to the inworking of the Spirit in my life. Through the Spirit, by faith. Now, here's the thing. As we know, the Spirit never makes us do anything. He only comes in to us and prompts us and seeks to persuade us, but He will not make us. Because God wants to see faith. God wants to see our willingness to respond in a positive way and say yes to the Spirit. And by the way, the Bible teaches that even that faith, that ability to be able to respond to the Spirit's persuasion inside of us is a gift from God. Isn't that what Ephesians 2.8 says? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that faith, it is not of yourselves. It doesn't come from us. It is a gift of God. See, God even gives us the faith to be able to positively respond, or else we couldn't do it. Now, here's the thing. Just like a lot of God's gifts, including the gift of His own Son, that gift can be rejected. We, we can say no to the gift of faith that God is doing inside of here and not positively respond to the Spirit. But it's only in positively responding to the persuasion and prompting of the Spirit within us that we won't be foolish, that we won't try to live our Christian life by our own human effort and we'll start learning to rely and depend upon the Spirit every day. It is only by faith that we will realize this wonderful Heavenly Father that loves us more than we could ever imagine who's just there waiting for us to approach Him and build this tender, affectionate, intimate relationship with Him so that we can have confidence in coming to Him and asking Him for things. And knowing that he will withhold no good thing 
from his child because we're his child through our faith in Jesus Christ. And it is only by faith that all the wonderful things that God has promised to us in the future. Jesus saying, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. Do you realize the realization that one day we're going to see that place that Jesus provided for each of us? That's part of the hope of righteousness. That the realization of that and making that real every day only comes by faith through the Spirit. Without positively responding to the Spirit every day, we lose sight of God's promises. We lose sight of the future. And we stop living for eternity and we start getting wrapped up in the here and now. And things of the earth, worldly things become more attractive than spiritual eternal things. Without the everyday working of the Holy Spirit, us and our Father aren't near as close as we should be or could be. The Father's some distant being way up there, way up there in heaven. And, and there's no close, tender, affectionate, intimate relationship with the Father. And it certainly isn't going to be gained by trying to do rules and regulations. <laughs> and it's only by faith that we realize how desperately we need to depend and rely upon the Spirit of God every day. Are we so foolish, having begun with the Spirit, we are now trying to finish our Christian life in our own human effort without the help of the Spirit of God? Paul would say, you're not dumb, you're not stupid, you're actually very intelligent people, so why don't you give that some thought? Because Paul, I think, would say, if you're truly considering this and thinking through it, I think you'll realize where we all need to land. I'm going to ask you just to remain seated. I'm going to ask our worship team to come, and I'm going to ask us to bow our heads, close our time here in prayer before we come to a time of response. God, I pray today that you would speak to our hearts today through your Spirit. That, Lord, those of us who are hearing your voice through your word, that we would not harden our hearts towards the Spirit of God, who is right now speaking to us about something, seeking to prompt or persuade us in some way within our heart of hearts. God, I am confident because you are a faithful God that even right now, you are giving each person who's hearing your voice that gift of faith. That every one of us who has the Spirit, we have now the ability, the capacity, because of your Spirit and because of that gift of faith that you are giving each of us, to positively respond to you this morning. To not say no, but to say yes to the Spirit. The only way... We say no is by rejecting the gift of faith and by rejecting the voice of the Spirit within us. So God, I'm praying that as a church, corporately, and each of us individually, that no one here would say no to the Spirit. 
that no one here would reject that great gift of faith that you give us in order to positively respond to you, but that right now, God, in this moment, as we are here waiting for you, that God, all of us would say yes to God.